office. And then to add more fuel on top of that, my dorky brother, my older brother, who I really look up to, he texts me and says, hey, we're going to have a lot of people watching, so it better not be bad. <laughs> Big brothers, right? Can you tell I'm a youngest child? I don't know. Um, does it shine through every now and then? But, but it was funny, though, because in true youngest, younger brother fashion, I thought, this is going to be rich because he's going to feel really bad. One, because he's going to realize, I've been sick all weekend, and I don't really have much voice, so just, you know, just if it's terrible, it's because I'm sick. And then two, he apparently didn't read the title of the sermon series, Tired of Trying to Measure Up. <laughs> so, Craig, I hope if you're online, you feel shame right now. No, wait, no, 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 no. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Sorry, you have to go back and listen to last week's for that to make sense. So, but no, so glad to be together this morning, and... Um, Hey, thank you so much for hanging in here. And I, I appreciate, too, just hearing how this series connects with a lot of us. Um, I know it's a, a departure from our typ typical exegetical verse-by-verse, book-by-book, um, through the chapter-by-chapter through the, through the, the Bible. But um, I, I pray that it's connecting deeply. And if you ever have any questions, be sure and let me know. My phone number's there. Text me, email me, call me. Let's go grab coffee or lunch, and let's talk through it, because I know these things hit us all differently based on our experience. So um, please don't please don't suffer in silence, right? Like be sure and, and talk with me. Um, a lot of you know, um, I forgot to hold up the book, but this series is taken from, I'm really creative. It's the book by the same name, Tired of Trying to Measure Up uh, by Jeff Van Vonderen. It's a fantastic book. So we have extra copies downstairs um, if you want to dig deeper into that, but um, it's really, really good. So, all right. Henry and Elda Martins, are not anybody that you've ever heard of before. Literally, Nicole is probably the only one who would recognize the names Henry and Elda Martins. And that's really too bad because everybody should know about Henry and Elda Martins. In fact, Henry and Elda and this whole group of, of their peers, this whole generation of people in this little town of about 3,000 people in Fairview, Oklahoma, where we were a youth pastor at, that's where we got started in our adult life and our ministry life, everything like that. There was this generation of people that, that were just incredible. I think a documentary should be made about these people because they were personally very frugal with themselves, but they were incredibly generous, lavishly generous with the people around them. Um, it's kind of... It's fun because we had a fun little relationship with them because Henry and Elda lived right, we lived on the edge of town, and then we had this fence, and then there was this big drainage ditch, and then there was the Martins compound, right? Like, like grandpa and grandma, the kids, the grandkids, the in-laws, they had this whole like growing little farmstead um, that was right next to the airport and little things like that. It was just really fun. Um, so we, we literally were next door neighbors to them. And uh, Henry was, was kind of a reserved, quieter guy, but he was incredibly talented um, with, with his hands. He was a very nice man and, and uh, very talented. And he had a passion for restoring abandoned and decrepit steam engines. Anything steam. I mean, we're talking big threshers, steam tractors, steam dozers, steam pullers, steam lifters. Like the guy was just a wizard. He had this great shop and he would just tear all these things down and rebuild them. And it was really fun because we could hear Henry and his son, Paul, um, and, uh, and they would all of a sudden, we'd hear this pop, 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 woo, woo, and they would be like doing the whistles. Well, this is what's really fun is that our boys were all toddler age, and guess what their favorite thing in the world was? Thomas the Tank Engine. 
And so we'd literally go running out the back of the house, and I'd like lift them up over. I would like have them hanging on the fence. We'd be looking over, and Henry and Paul would look over and start laughing at us. They'd wave us over, and, and we'd go hop on and ride these steam, steam engines with them. It was so much fun, and Henry just loved, loved to share his skills with the people around him. Elda was witty. She was gregarious. She was ornery. She was, she was a jokester. Um, and Elda also collected antiques. She would collect household antiques, and she was also a really good quilt maker. Um, she actually, uh, in, in true Martin's fashion, she bought a, an abandoned one-room schoolhouse, and then they moved it from the country to the edge of town to join the Martin's compound. And of course, in true Martin's fashion, they, they moved this thing using like early 1900s technology. I mean, it was, it was I loved, they were the best neighbors in the world. And, and so she had this schoolhouse full of her antique collection to display and to sell, and she would go in there and work. And I remember one day I was in there, and, and what was really cool is that she, she did all this, and, and I think almost every dime that she ever sold went to either a disaster relief organizations. And, and she, that was just her life calling. She, she wasn't necessarily going to be the one to go onto the mission field, but she was more than willing to send people and to send resources. And, and that's just who she was. And what was really fun is one day I went over and I was just kind of touring through her stuff and just listening to stories. And, and uh, I was just astounded at the value of some of the, the antiques. And I said, Elda, like, this stuff is really expensive. This is, this is crazy. And she just laughs at me and she goes, Jason... Something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And that stood, it's, it stopped me in my tracks. And it still did this week. As I'm studying this week for this morning's message, I just kept on hearing Elda's ornery little witty comment of something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Let's let that sink in. Let's keep that in mind this morning as we dig into the, to today's topic. So last week we talked, it wasn't a really good field message. Um, we looked at the try hard, give up, shame-based system, right? This morning we're going to kind of recap it just a little bit. Um, but it starts with this outside source. And that outside source is a relationship, a group, an experience that causes shame. It can be name-calling, put-downs, comparisons, favoritism, perfectionism, rejection, failures, mistakes, abuse, all sorts of different things, right? But this group could be a, a family. It could be, quote-unquote, friends. It could be teams, work, neighbors. It could even be a church, right? But this outside source is something that we give authority into our lives. Now, now that, that sh outside source sends messages that shame. These are words, responses, uh, interactions that basically clearly communicate and reinforce shame into our lives. Well, from there, we go into what's called the mind, right? It's our belief. It's our, it's our decisions that we make. It's the core of our being. It's the filter that we, it's the grid work that we filter everything through. It's our thought, our belief, grid work. And when it's shame-based or performance-based, we're presented with two options. The first option that we always run to is the try-hard cycle. We, we make a decision, and we're going to try really hard, right? And so when we say, I'm going to be a really good person, we do really good behaviors because of the be 
the, the do be dynamic, right? I do good things, therefore I am a good person, right? And so these can be really good things, but the problem is, is that we try to earn our approval, our acceptance, our value, our worth, our love. Um, we try to earn those things through good behaviors. We can feel really good when they we're doing these good things. In fact, we can even feel like we've arrived, right? Like, like I am somebody, I'm worthwhile, I'm, I'm good. Finally, um, we feel value, we feel accepted. And guess what? A lot of people are going to give us messages that affirm. They're going to see our good behavior. They're going to see all of our work, and they're going to affirm us in that. Now, that can be really good. That can be genuine. I'm not saying that that's bad, because who doesn't like some affirmation? One of my love languages is, is words of affirmation. Like, if I'm doing a good job, it's kind of nice to know, right? I'm not saying that that's bad in and of itself, but the problem is is that we realize that as soon as we stop performing, as soon as we mess up, it's all going to be taken away. Because our value, our worth is all dependent, all that praise, all that acceptance is, is dependent on our works, on our effort. And so as, if all of a sudden we mess up, that praise and acceptance is replaced with shame and rejection. So we get stuck on this treadmill of performance, and we try desperately to stay ahead of shame and rejection. Not a good place to be in. And that gets us back into the belief, my, uh, into our mind, right? Into our belief, our core, dis, our, our core being. We're constantly enslaved to the do-be belief. So we try hard, we try hard, we try hard. But guess what? After trying hard so many times and messing up so many times, sometimes we get tired. We get, we get wore out, right? We feel dead inside. I'm working so hard, but I feel dead inside. Came across the quote this week that says, a good-looking corpse is still a corpse. Ugh, right? Like, that sounds awful. But yet the problem is, is when we're working, we're working, we're working, we're not tending to the garden of our soul. And, we, and we're so busy chasing the acceptance through performance that we feel dead. And so then guess what? Instead of trying harder over and over again, we go the other way and we give up. Now, when we give up, it's a lot of times accompanied by bad behavior. So instead of good behavior, we go to bad behavior. Sometimes it's unintentional. We don't mean to. It's just we've just given up, and so it's just we let it go. Other times it's an actful, willful act, uh, a, a willful act of, of acting out, right? Like, you're going to treat me like a rebel? Okay, I'll rebel. You want to treat me like I'm a punk? I'll show you a punk, Right? And so we, we act out of those things, and what happens is that those are the things we act out of the shame. We feel shamed, and so we do shameable things, right? And we end up doing things that hurt us and those around us. Now, what happens then? We go back into messages that shame. We do bad things, we feel shame. And so then it goes right back into our, our mind, our, our belief system, our, our belief system. What are we going to do? The, the problem is, is that we give the outside source the ultimate authority. We believe that what that outside source is saying to and about us, we believe that to be true and reliable. That's, not, that's kind of a, a hard place to be in, right? And so, so we, we get stuck in this, this outside source, try hard, give up, try hard, give up, and we're stuck in that. 
Here's an example, and, and this is my personal example. Um, you're going to find that, it, that it, it applies to a lot of different things. But let's say, let's say hypothetically, over this last fall, as I was traveling to the boys' football games a lot and spending a lot of time in airports and stuff like that, and then over the holidays and everybody, this was the year of bread. I ate more bread. It was delicious. It was so good. That is my weakness. I love carbs. I love, I love like that kind of stuff, right? Like, and, and so guess what? After Christmas, I stepped on the scale. Dumbest thing ever. Why do I do that, right? It's sort of like, it's just the dumbest thing. And I, was, I step on the scale, and it's sort of like, shame, shame. That's literally what the scale said was shame, shame, right? And so, and so to remedy that, I, I figure, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to start working out again more. I need to get back in the habit of that, and I really need to watch what I'm eating, right? Good things, healthy things. But the, the dangerous part comes when I look at the scale or I look in the mirror and instead of saying, oh, yeah, a little, more, a little bit more you'd love there, Jason, you know, like, like no, I start to say, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm terrible. I'm getting old. I'm getting fat. I'm getting, you know, and I start to feel that shame on who I am, right? And so then my value, my worth, my lovability rises and falls with what either the scale or my perception of what other people think. And this is a funny thing is that that's all internal for me. Right? Like nobody ever once has said, boy, packing it on there, querying, you know? <laughs> like maybe you thought it. Thanks for not saying it, right? But, but that's the thing is that, is that I'm giving power to these outside things, these behaviors. And, and then I either feel valuable, worthy, prideful if I'm doing well, or worthless and shamed if I'm not. And then let's say all of a sudden I'm doing really well, and I'm not eating a lot, I'm working out hard, and I'm dropping some pounds, and I'm feeling good about life, feeling good about myself. Um, but then, let's say all of a sudden, one night, I'm just stressed, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm just sort of like, ah. And I go to the pantry, and guess what? There is a big pack of double-stuffed Oreos and a jar of crunchy peanut butter, the way God intended it to be. If you disagree, I will argue with you after church. Um, and nothing will make me feel better than a couple Oreos with some chunky peanut butter on it. And next thing you know, I'm sitting in the middle of the living room floor, and the pack is empty, and the, the jar is in, you know, it, was just, it wasn't quite that bad. It was almost that bad, right? But what I feel now, I feel shame. I feel physically gross, but I, I feel... I, I go to bed, and I'm like, I am... Why? Why? I'm so pathetic, Right? I mean, these are all hypothetical situations. I'm just trying to, you know. No, I feel, I feel defeated. I feel shameful, right? And so what's crazy is that these messages that will affirm or messages that shame all take up space rent-free in our heads. And we listen to those voices. And we serve those voices. We're stuck in these shame-based cycles. And the same thing is true with anything we're going to face. Addictions, right? Any addiction that we face. I mean, you can fill in your blank on that, right? Addiction is the same way. When I'm crushing it, I feel good. I feel worthy. But as soon as we fall back into that, uh, that addiction, we just feel flatlined, right? It's amazing at how quickly behaviors finances, habits, temptations. There's all sorts of different things that we can put into that blank there, right? It feeds off the external force, the external source. 
And, and here's the dangerous thing is that our world thrives off of this system, off the try harder or give up cycle. Marketing, we've, a while back we talked about how much money is spent on marketing, um, but it, it feeds off of this conviction that if we buy this, wear that, eat this, drive that, we're going to be fine. We're going to be happy, healthy, successful, accepted, everything like that, right? Our world thrives off of promising things that will give us a sense of purpose, value, meaning, worth, belonging. I mean, we're talking self-help, self-improvement, sexuality, politics, health, even religions feed into this, right? We, we promise a sense of belonging and acceptance, value, and worth as long as you toe the line that we, that we prescribe for you, right? There's prescribed behavior, styles, beliefs, codes, agendas that make us good and make us belong. Now, dear God, please let there be a third way. There is. That's the good news, and that's where we want to get to this morning is we, we finally get to the end and we figure out what doesn't work. I've been on this treadmill, I've been on this cycle, and it doesn't work. There's got to be something more. We finally feel like we've been given permission to bring into light what's been in the darkness. Last week we talked about the can't talk about it dynamic of a shame-based system. We can't bring it out into the light. We can't talk about it. But that rule finally gets broken in our head and in our heart. And maybe we can ask somebody, ask somebody and, and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Um, help me process this, right? Now, I want to be clear that this is not promoting apathy. It's not promoting um, laziness or staying stuck in sin. It's not saying that sin isn't a big deal. Sin is a very big deal. And it's not okay. And there is good, there is bad. There is good and there's evil. And we don't want to be in, in evil. We want to be in good. But the, the thing is, is that we need to grow from and be transformed out of those things. And in, in a, a, the problem with a shame-based system is that it's all up to our effort, our work, to make us good. And then other people's opinions of us, right? So in this whole try hard, give up. Where's the third way? The third way is that we need to start with a new source. We need to go to the ground level. We need to root up. People are sometimes like, why do you have greenhouse? That's the weirdest name because greenhouse is where soil is broken and seeds are planted. Seeds of growing disciples who love God, love people, serve the world, right? And so we need to rip up all the old soil. We need to get rid of the rocks, get rid of the weeds. We need to uproot all this other stuff. And it starts with that outside source. And we need to replace it with a new source. And this is where we get to God as the true answer. Who is God? What has he done for us? I'm going to read some verses. They're all in your, your, your discussion card if you want to go back. I'm just going to read through these really quick. This is what God has done for us. This is a new source, John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins 
in his body on the cross so that he might so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed Romans 5 1 2 6 and 8 therefore since we have been justified through faith faith we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God and hope does not put us to shame because God loves because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us Colossians 2:13 through 15 when you were dead in your sin uh, dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made you alive in Christ He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And last one, Galatians 2.20, where I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the good news. This is what God has done for us. He came into his own creation. That's what we celebrated in Christmas, right? He wrote himself into his own story to save us, to do what we could never do on our own. So instead of a shame-based system, we enter into a grace-based system. And what do we find? Instead of work hard, try hard, and give up, we find rest. This new source is God's heart. It's God's character. It's his performance on our behalf. I'm a mess up. I, I do okay at certain things, but I'm a mess up, right? And if it's just my performance, then, then oh, <laughs> I'm nervous. But if, it, but if I get to say I'm with him and look what he's done for me, then there's freedom. Then there's joy. Then there's hope. Then there's peace, right? It's God's heart. It's his character. It's his performance on behalf of us. It's already been done. That's the beauty of the biblical gospel is that he said it is finished. He earned for us what we could never earn. The voice of the old outside sources might still be there. We might still hear it in or around us, but we know that it's no longer true or reliable. I'm not going to base my life based on, on, on that old source. I'm going to listen to the new source. And what's fun is that this new source gives us new messages. Messages that we're loved, we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're valued, we're worthy, we belong, we're new creations. Salvation means that we agree with God and we surrender all that we are to who he is and what he's done for us. We go all in with him and in the process we receive a new identity. We're no longer slaves to the broken system of the world. We now belong to God and that's really good news. Now some of us might have a real hard time with that concept because no no one owns me. No one owns me. Maybe we've had to fight our whole life. Maybe we've, maybe we've been through some traumatic experiences and it's kind of like, 
I am my own man. I am my own woman, right? No one is ever going to determine what I do anymore. Well, that might sound empowering at first. And you know what? If we are owned by a bad system, then that's not good. But if we transfer ownership of our identity, our value, our worth, our life to our creator, the one who actually created us, who loves us, who died for us, who wants to transform us, that's really good news because we can trust him. He's good. And that's where it says we're, we're saved by faith in Christ. We go all in. We go all in with what he's done. That new message motivates us to consistent behaviors. Now, what's, here's what's fun, is that the messages remind us of what's true, and now our behaviors reflect what's true. It's not, I'm going to act so that I receive something. It's something has already happened, so this is how I'm going to live. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. The old is gone. I've been made new, right? We always say that we, we live from our salvation, not work for it, right? Sometimes this comes easy and natural, and other times not. There's an intentionality that needs to come with this, right? Like, it's not natural to study our Bible, to sit down and talk with someone who we can't see. It's not natural to want to, to, to live a life of discipleship and growth and relationship with God. So there is intentionality that comes with that, but we need to always remember that the distinction is that our value and our worth doesn't come from those things. We get to live those things out because of what he's done for us. Instead of trying to fill what we think is empty with behaviors from the outside, we realize that in Christ, in his grace, we are full. We're full of his presence and we're complete in him and we get to live that fullness out. It's kind of like Drew's example a few weeks back where he had the sponge, right? Like God's love is, not, is unending and we need to soak that up and we can't help when we're full of the love of Christ to share that with those around us. And that's what the Christian life should look at. Instead of looking to outside things and, you know, we had that, that the example of like vinegar looks good, but it's totally different from water, right? And if we soak up what's bad, we're going to share what's bad. If we soak up what's good, we're going to share what's good then guess what? We're still human. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to let people down. And instead of listening to messages that shame or messages that affirm our efforts, we're going to listen to the new source and the messages that he says about us. And so we get out of that old shame-based system and we enter into a grace-based system. It's totally different. Now, Here's a question. Where does the law come into all this, right? Because the Bible talks about, you know, your law is on my heart. I dwell on it day and night, blah, blah, blah. Does grace mean that there's no guidance, no correction, no right and wrong, anything like that? No, that's not what it means. In fact, it means that it's something deeper. I love how Romans 6, 1 and 2 says that, you know, he says, should I sin more so that I get more grace? Heck no, Right? Like, it's the closest that the Bible comes to, like, cussing. It's a very strong word in the Greek that he says, no, no, don't keep sinning just because, like, sin still matters, right? You've been set free. You've received a new identity, so don't continue in that old way of life. But instead of experiencing shame, we experience we're drawn by grace. It's important to remember that the law can't save us. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 
um, says that we're saved by grace, not by our works. Galatians 2.21 says that if, if, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there's no need for Jesus, right? So that's where Paul in the New Testament keeps on saying, stop enslaving yourself to the old system of works-based religion, right? If, if works could save us, then we didn't need Jesus. So then where do, we do, where do we go with the law, right? Really quickly, the law is good for this. Number one, it shows us the holiness of God. It sets this really high standard of holiness, of perfection, and it shows us that, that God is holy. He is good. The law is kind of like an instruction manual for creation, right? Like if we do the law, it's amazing how things work out so much better, right? But the, the second part of it is this, is that the law acts like a mirror to reflect our shortcomings to us. It's, it's to point out the things in our life that are out of line with our new identity in Christ. The third part, and this is where it's, it kind of gets a little bit crazy, is that it's meant to frustrate us. It's meant to frustrate us. It's meant to show us our helplessness to fix things on our own. Because even the person who says, I obey every law, right? Like we see examples of that in the Bible where he says, what, what, what must I do to be saved? He says, starts going down the list. And the guy goes, well, I can't do that. Well, then if you're saved by the law, then you're not saved, right? It's meant to show us that we are unable to fix things on our own. That is really frustrating but it's also where we get to the end of our rope and we get finally to Jesus and what he's done for us. And that's the fourth thing is that it pushes us to Jesus who both fulfills the law for us on our behalf, but it also replaces the law in us with his presence, with his word, with his spirit in our lives. And then last number five, with grace at the center and empowered by the spirit, God's law guides and directs us along the journey of sanctification. Sanctification is basically a fancy churchy name for growing in my relationship with Christ. Getting rid of the things that are sinful, that are destructive, that are hurtful to me and those around me is that, is that it's kind of like, hey, this is a bad thing. I shouldn't do this, right? This is a good thing. I should do this. But we're doing this from our salvation and not working for our salvation. I cannot reiterate the importance of that enough. We are new creations. Our actions, our behaviors are the natural result that flows from a dependence on and a relationship with God, not trying to earn him back. Um, I, I actually, this week I got caught up a little bit on, on uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Holy Spirit Soapbox, a little shout out, uh, a little free shout out there. Um, uh, Dan and Stacy, but their episode a few weeks ago called Adoption. Uh, he used the example of, of how they got a stray dog. And, and at first, it was sort of like the dog's really happy, like, yay, I'm accepted, I'm loved. But then after a while, it kind of goes back to some old behaviors, right? What a powerful, I'm sitting here listening to that this week as I'm shoveling snow, and I was like, well, maybe we should just listen to that instead of this message, right? But, but it, was, it was just a really good example of that, is that Philly was adopted into their family. He didn't have to act out of the old way when he was astray, when he was in a bad home. When, you know, like he was loved, he was accepted, and he can act in that new way, but yet it's hard to let those old things die, right? As Galatians 1.10 says, when we belong to God, we live for him and not the people around us. We continue to grow in this. So here's the big idea this morning. God's grace gives us identity 
and value. And then we get to simply live from that reality. Now, very simple, not easy, right? Because we think of, of what it means to, to live out of, out of this new identity, this new freedom, instead of trying to earn and achieve and try hard or give up. It's I get to actually rest in who God is. I get to find hope and joy and peace and all these fruit of the Spirit that come from a life that's surrendered to Him. But that's where we need to get back to. I think it's so important that we continually ground ourselves back into that reality, right? This morning, I want to close out by, by reminding us of God's heart in all this. Why would a God do what he did for us? Because that's pretty costly, right? To come into his own creation, to experience pain and suffering and separation and death and all those things, why would he do this? Well, God's heart is this. God's heart towards the broken, towards the hurting, towards the shame is this. He is a perfect father. He is a perfect father, and he has a perfect father's heart. Now, some of us have been blessed with great fathers. I'm, I'm one of those, right? Like, I never felt shame growing up. I just felt loved and accepted, and my dad wasn't perfect, but he was amazing. He is amazing, you know, and, and, and I'm so thankful that I, I don't have, like, father wounds from growing up, right? Like, that's not something, but I've seen so much of that. And so even though I didn't experience that firsthand, I've, I've unfortunately walked with countless people who received these father wounds from, from dads who didn't reflect our Heavenly Father, right? And I remember years ago as I was struggling with some people and, 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 and is struggling alongside of some people as they were struggling, right? And I remember hearing the quote, instead of evaluating God as Father through our fathers, let's evaluate our fathers through God as Father. Because none of us are going to be perfect dads. None of us are going to be perfect moms. We, we might love our kids, but we're going to mess up, right? But God as standard, as father, is where we need to start. He is that new source for our lives. He is a perfect father, and he has a perfect father's heart. It's so fun to be able to kind of watch parents as they watch their kids and in when things are good and healthy, right? Like you just, you start to understand that. I, when we started having kids, I, well, I, I always say, I, I thought I had love figured out and then, I, and then I got married and then I was like, oh, this is what love is, right? And I thought I had it figured out and then we started having kids. I was like, oh my goodness. Started to understand love so much more when I became a parent, right? So he's a perfect father with a perfect father's heart. Second, he wants us to be alive and free in an intimate relationship with himself and each other in his creation. That's his heart. He wants to see us free. He wants to see us alive. Third, he likes us. God likes you. He chooses you. He adopts you. And that's one of the things, like when I, when, you know, we had friends that were, you know, had adopted and and, and when I started to understand love through the lens of adoptive love, that's a whole new level, right? Like that, it, it's, you know, it, it, like the Bible says, it's not an act of, of human desire, it's an act of divine will. And, and he adopts us, he chooses us, he likes us. Another thing about the heart of God in all of this is that he's safe. 
It doesn't mean that we're always going to feel comfortable. It doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy, but he truly is safe. He loves us. He cares for us so we can go to him with our very real pain, with our questions, with our brokenness, with our hurt, with our doubts. We can run to him and we can, we can yell, we can shout, we can scream, and we can cry, and then we can just rest in him. And the last thing is this, is that he cares for us and he guides us through his presence, through his word, and through his spirit. We are never alone in this process. That's really, really good news. I like how uh, Jeff Van Bonderen says this in his book. It is God's grace, not our striving, that makes us accepted and acceptable. It is his performance in Christ, not our trying hard to perform, that eradicates our shame. This is going to be difficult, a difficult struggle for many. Those of us with shame have a hard time accepting gifts. We try for a long time to earn them. What's so wonderful, though, is that we can be loved, accepted, capable, and worthwhile for free because in love, God purchased our eternal state of acceptedness with his blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. That is the real good news of the gospel. Someone is only worthy. Someone is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Each one of us here this morning is valuable because someone gave their life for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't ask for it. Some of us don't even want it. But that gift was given to us. That is an incredible price tag. It's already been done. Do we accept that? Do we surrender to that? Do we give in to that? Instead of trying hard or giving up, do we give in? Do we find rest in the gift that Christ has given us through the cross? Jesus gave everything and paid it all because he loves you. When we give ourselves to him, we belong to him. There's no better, no more loved, no more freeing place to belong than that. So this morning, as we, as we wrap up, we're going to celebrate communion together. And what I love about communion is that it takes place, it's, it's the body and blood that was shed for us, right? Like Jesus says, hey, every time you do this, remember the gift that I've given you. My blood, my body, my blood is the sacrifice, it's the new covenant to restore you, to, to bring you into relationship with myself. And the cool thing is, is he intentionally did it at a meal. Why? Meals are at tables. Tables are the ultimate place of belonging. That's the beauty of it, right? And so this morning, as, as the band comes up and we're going to close out with a couple songs, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I'd invite you to come forward and to, to dip the bread into one of the cups and just to say, thank you for this, God. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for your presence. Thanks for your acceptance. Thanks for transforming me, for, for changing me. 
if, if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're, you're new to this and, and you're not sure, just, just think about it, right? Like, we don't have membership. We don't have, you know, a list of who can and who can't take communion. It's, it's if you love Jesus and if you put your faith in him and you want to give your life to him, this could be the very moment that your eternity has changed, right? I'd invite you to consider doing that. He loves you. You're accepted. You belong. Surrender our lives to him and let him work that transformation from the inside out. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for how you gave us a gift of something that we could never earn on our own. God, I thank you that your heart is for us. God, that instead of dwelling on the things that drive us away from you, God, you cover those. You get rid of those things. God, even when we want to run back to those things and, and uh, uh, give in to idolatry or to, to put our faith in things that aren't of you, God, you still call us back to you. God, I pray that you just help us through your spirit just identify different things that maybe have driven wedges between us and you, us and each other, even us and ourselves. God, I pray that you would just set us free, that the thought of giving our lives to you wouldn't be scary, but rather would be exciting, that we could experience a relationship with the creator of all things. We could stop running, we could stop hiding, we could stop striving and trying to earn what's already been given to us. So God, if there's anybody here this morning that that hasn't done that yet, God, I pray that this would be a moment that could change eternity for them. God, if that's the case, God, we just pray this prayer, God. We just come to you and we give our lives to you. God, we surrender all that we are to you, the good, the bad, and everything in between. God, you've taken care of our past, God. You washed it clean with your blood. God, you've taken care of our future. God, to know that we can spend eternity with you in a relationship with you, the creator of all things. And God, you want to transform our present. So God, we want to surrender our present, our, our life right here and right now, our relationships, our, our fears, our anxieties, the, the things that, that we're enslaved to, God, we, we surrender those to you. God, we no longer belong to them and they no longer belong to us. God, we belong to you. So God, start working the process of your transformation through your spirit, through your word. God, we surrender to you. God, if there's anybody else that, that, that knows you and, and wants to just say, I, I need a fresh start. God, we just surrender to you too. God, break what needs to be broken, heal what needs to be healed. Bring strength in our weakness. Help us to experience you in the reality of our lives. God, if there's voices that we've been paying attention to instead of you, God, we just, we just, we recognize that. And God, we just say, no longer are we going to listen to those voices. We want to listen to you, to your love, to your truth. God, we want to experience the fullness of you in our lives. So we want to surrender to you every day. God, we thank you that this comes from your heart a loving Father. We pray these things in your name.
Jesus' blood.